HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You are listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Hello, and welcome to Inside School Food, a forum for professionals and advocates working in, with, around K-12 food service. I'm your host, Laura Stanley, and I'm here to help you dig deep into current topics in school food. I'm very pleased to have with me today two of the most progressive and accomplished food service directors working in schools today, Bertrand Weber of Minneapolis Public Schools and Gita Grether-Sweeney of Portland, Oregon Public Schools. I'll be speaking with them shortly about challenges involved in introducing the new meal patterns for school lunch that are required under the Healthy Hunger-Free Kids Act of 2010. We'll be looking in particular at the considerable financial challenges involved in getting significantly more produce and whole grains onto the tray. But first, let's take a quick look at some recent news in school food. What I have today is a tale of two studies, one that grabbed headlines when it was released uh, early this year in January, and the second uh, less publicized when it came out in early March. The earlier study from the Government Accountability Office is not a bearer of great news about the new meal pattern for school lunch. The GAO reports a decrease in participation of 3.7% between 2010 and 2013. Do they say mainly to a drop in sales of full-price meals? Now, this is happening after many years of steady increase in participation. Why is this happening? GAO concludes that the new whole grain and fruit and veggie rich menus have been less popular with kids and high school students in particular. Uh, Higher prices for full-price meals appear to play a role as well, especially for those families with incomes that are just slightly above where they need to be to qualify for reduced price. Additionally, most states and most of the districts visited by researchers reported increased food waste. Other issues identified by GAO included a big jump in food cost, uh, which we'll be talking about shortly, and a bigger workload for staff due to preparation of all those fruits and vegetables. Many districts are under-equipped and will require new investment in their kitchens and storage systems. 
But how bad all, is all this, really? GAO says that, in fact, many of these setbacks are actually issues that were anticipated and that will diminish over time, as students and food service alike adjust to the new normal. That's not to dismiss the work that lies ahead as easy. GAO makes it clear it will not be. But the report, if you really read it, and I did, it's 70 pages, um, it's not grim in the way much of the mainstream media led Americans to believe. Here's one sample headline from the Washington Times, which said, One million kids stop school lunch due to M Michelle Obama's standards. Really? Uh, first of all, the new standards aren't the first ladies, though she came out strongly in favor of them. And in fact, the 2010 Healthy Hunger Free Kids Act had uh, strong bipartisan support. The second study from researchers at the Harvard School of Public Health makes for more encouraging headlines. Here's one from USA Today. It says, some kids eat more veggies with new school lunch rules. But, oops, the subhead read, read students eat more produce at school but also throw a lot of it away. And it's true. Students at four low-income urban schools were found to be taking more fruits and vegetables after the implementation of the new meal pattern without throwing away any more than they used to. That means they're eating more produce. That's good. But they're still throwing away up to 75% of the vegetables on their trays and about 40% of the fruit. And that's pretty bad. I think the Washington Post, not to be confused with the Washington Times, summed it up best with the headline on its recent article about both reports. It said, two new studies underscore hope, frustrations of revamped school lunches. I think that says it all. Um, with all this in mind, I'm very pleased to have with me these two ace problem solvers to take on the matter of food cost. Bertrand and Gita, welcome to Heritage Radio. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for joining us. Um, I, I'd, I'd like to ask you both you know, to describe your programs in brief. Um, I don't know who wants to start. Should we move from, uh, you know, from from east to west, or should it be ladies first? <laughs> <laughs> go ahead. To west, Bertrand, you go. <laughs> okay, go ahead, Bertrand. <laughs> so Minneapolis Public School. Um, is, is actually currently uh, increasing in size, which is wonderful for an urban district. So we're currently at approximately 36,000 uh, students. Uh, our demographics, uh, free and reduced, accounts for about 64% of our student population. Uh, so uh, a high number, but not, you know, not extremely high as compared to some of the other urban areas. And our challenge within our school district is the the district back in 1975 opted to go into a pre-pack operation. So all schools built after 75 uh, did not include kitchens or dining rooms, and schools that were built prior to that didn't have any, uh, them either because kids went home. And we're in the midst right now of, of actually changing our delivery model and putting kitchen back into school. So we have a very, uh, a very diversified, if you will, delivery model. Uh, high schools do 60% uh, of their cooking on site with some bulk item coming from the 
Central Kitchen. Mm-hmm. We have just converted uh, four junior highs, or in actually in the process of converting junior highs, to, with the same principle, and those are with some very very limited kitchen. We have four elementary schools that uh, have brand new kitchens. Uh, but the rest of the 41 elementary schools don't have kitchens and are in full prepack using rethermalizers. Mm-hmm. But we were able to install 26 salad bars within the district. So we're kind of all over the place when it comes to our food system delivery. Mm-hmm. But you, you are in a uniquely advantageous position in that you um, were installing these new facilities knowing what was coming with the new meal pattern. Can you talk about how that's facilitated your adjustment to the new the new pattern? I, ironically, uh, it, the 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 thought behind the changes really were not as a result of the new regulation, but the timing for for our district was uh, probably worked in our favor because as the new regulations were introduced, we took our high school students from from uh, basically a fast food environment into fresh food environment with salad bars. So to them, the introduction of a salad bar, uh, they automatically took the extra fruits and vegetable without even us having to ask because what they had in the pack was plastic baggies of carrots or celery and oranges. So it really worked in our favor. Our participation is actually up by 1.4% from last year. And uh, overall participation of the district is up by 9% over two years ago. Wow, so you're, you're really bucking the national trend there. That's, that's really exciting. <laughs> yep. But, and, and again, I think it's, it's just coincidence. It had nothing to do with the new regs. It really had to do with there's such a drastic change in the way we started presenting food and the way we started marketing food in schools that it went hand-in-hand with the new regulations and the kids just embraced it. Mm -hmm. Can can you talk a little bit about that, the presentation and the marketing? So we we really tried to focus, uh, even in the schools that are still on a pre-pack, we really tried to focus on on presenting the food or marketing the food, not so much as school food, but really trying to present a a pleasant dining experience, great, what we call true food. Our campaign is called uh, True Food Rocks, and actually kids came up with that name. And true food is is nothing more than just as little processed food as possible and more wholesome, what we call... uh, just whole food. Mm-hmm. So we've, we've really, uh, as we, we increase that, we're doing taste tests with some different kind of food, uh, introducing whole grain in their whole form as opposed to trying to hide them in, not hide them, but, you know, chicken nuggets have to be whole grain. I'm not quite sure that's where the whole grain belongs, mm-hmm. but <laughs> that, that's just a personal Opinion. So we, on the salad bar, we're putting quinoa salad and tabbouleh and wheat berries and uh, with a lot of marketing behind it, and that seems to have worked very well. Uh, we also, as I mentioned, we conduct a taste tests, and we've grown from uh, 14 schools. We're up to now 27 schools that have where we conduct taste tests 
of legume salads and some of the new challenge that we have with the new regulations mm -hmm. with the different colored vegetables and the legumes and the grain. So that's where we kind of take the opportunity to introduce those new food as during taste test. And that uh, not only has worked well with the kids, but ironically, we see our website traffic more than quadruple the day after because people, parents are downloading recipes, which kind of gives us, uh, uh, we know that we're going in the right direction when we're seeing the parents that are now also embracing some of those changes. Well, and that's exciting, um, having the recipes um, that I guess assuming that you're scaling them down for home use, that's not yep. something that your district does. <laughs> Yeah, we go from 20,000 serving to eight. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. And, and I know you're doing some really innovative purchasing um, of, of some sustainably lo or locally grown foods. Can you just mention a couple of examples that uh, you're excited about? The, you know, the hardest ones for us have been the protein. But we were, we've been partnering now with a local free-range a family farm that raises turkey. So all of our turkey, uh, raw turkey products, uh, so we use ground turkey, we use turkey uh, Thai meat, uh, his turkey hot dogs all come from 30 miles from the Twin Cities uh, with, from a family farm turkeys that have, are raised without the use of antibiotic that are fully free range. And we have a great connection. And, the, you know, it's like we, we know where our food comes from. We've done the same thing with a local grass-fed beef company for grass-fed beef hot dogs. Mm -hmm. So we kind of alternate between the two. Uh, we do serve a local poultry, but it's still part of a large, larger company. It's more of a Midwest kind of company. Mm -hmm. And then we're, uh, I think some of the really neat thing is, is working with some of the smaller, uh, smaller farms around the Twin Cities. And with some of the new immigrant farmers, so we've partnered with them on, on quite a few items, uh, and we're hoping to triple that for next year. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and one of the other thing too, is we've started uh, partnering with a lot of local chefs in, in recipe development and promotion when we're talking about some of the taste tests. So the chefs come in and help us with the kids. But through that connection with the chef, we've had opportunities from a farmer that was working with a local restaurant where their crop got hit by hail. Mm -hmm. And uh, they had sent an email to some of the restaurant about, is anybody interested in hail damage, tomatoes and kale? And our connection with the chef council forwarded us that email. And uh, we actually purchased the entire crop of, of kale and used it in this fall in an apple kale salad at half the cost as regular kale, and this was local organically grown kale. So there's those, some of those, I think, are a lot of fun to, yeah, to yeah. share. That, that's Everyone great. wins. And, yeah. and you've been able to, to do it on, on your very restricted budget. Um, and I know that Gita's done some of this kind of work, too. So I'll, I'll turn it over to you, Gita. Uh, first, why don't you tell us a little bit about your district, and, uh, and then we'll see what you are, you're proud of. Okay. 
Uh, so I have some similarities and some differences with Bertrand as far as our district makeup. Uh, we have approximately 47,000 students who attend Portland Public Schools, and our demographics are lower as far as for free and reduced as Bertrand's. Uh, we're only at 46% free and reduced. Um, we have on-site cooking at uh, 85 of our kitchen sites, which is um, that's how many sites we have. We used to have a central kitchen and moved away from that model um, about six to seven years ago. Uh, one of our challenges uh, with that, though, is that we only have ovens in our kitchens to cook with. So we don't have brazers or um, stoves, any other type of equipment, just ovens. Um, but we've been able to make that work uh, fairly well for us. Um, and so um, we do have a central distribution, which helps us quite a bit, uh, which means that all of our food is delivered from either farmers, vendors, uh, to our central distribution site warehouse. And then we deliver the food out to the schools. And one of the reasons we've kept that model is because our schools are quite old. The average age is 65 years. And uh, so we have limited refrigeration and freezer space, and so some schools can't hold more than a couple of days' worth of groceries. Um, so that, that's one of the reasons we've kept the model of uh, the central distribution. However, that helps us food cost-wise because um, vendors only have to deliver to one site, um, and then we make the distribution elsewhere. Mm -hmm. So that's a little bit about the makeup of our, our district. And so let's talk a little bit about your menus. You know, Bertrand was talking about the relationship he's got with the uh, the turkey producer and the beef and local farms. I know you're you're also a real pioneer in that area. You mm -hmm. want to give us a few examples? Sure. Um, so a number of years ago, we started making some changes to our menu, uh, similar to what Bertrand was um, speaking to, moving away from less processed food and uh, making more of the food on site at our schools. And uh, so the first thing we did is um, we moved away from our central kitchen, but we started a Harvest of the Month program uh, where we feature uh, Oregon-produced um, fruits or vegetables at the school sites, trying to teach the kids uh, where their food comes from, and specifically Oregon, because Oregon, we grow um, so many fruits and vegetables, and a lot of kids don't realize, you know, what um, is grown here in Oregon. So we started that program and then excuse me and also a local lunch program where the lunch for um, the day all the food that's that we purchase is um, regional it may not all be Oregon but it's regional and so through that we've established a number of um, partnerships with uh, local processors and farmers um, one of the ranchers that we've made a partnership with is Carmen Ranch and they're in East uh, located in eastern Oregon, and uh, Corey Carmen uh, has a, a cattle ranch and grows, uh, raises uh, beef in their 100% um, grass-fed. And so we feature the, uh, her, the hamburger um, on our menus twice a year through this local lunch. And then we also purchase uh, local chicken um, that's antibiotic-free. Uh, that's something that I've been working towards in our district. And we menu that um, just a few times a year. And the main reason we um, only menu these items a few times a year is because of the cost. Um, they are quite expensive, um, but we would like to move our, you know, food, the foods that we buy in that direction. So we try to uh, offer them a couple times a year. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so those are two big programs that we initiated uh, a number of years ago. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I know you, you're, you, um, you're doing so much, Gita, and I, I could devote, uh, both of you, I could devote a whole show to your farm-to-school purchasing, and maybe we'll do that another time because uh, you're, you're just skimming the surface, both of you here. Um, um, I, I would like to, before we go to station break, just um, very quickly describe the changes underway uh, with, the, with the lunch uh, meal pattern. And I wondered if either one of you wanted to try, it's complicated, but if either of you wanted to try taking this on um, in broad strokes, describe what, what, what it looked like before and what changes are required of, of you now. Okay, I'll take a stab, and mm-hmm. Bertrand can you know follow up if he sure. would like. Um, so, uh, two years ago, some of the uh, changes um, take, took place. One of them being uh, that we have to serve a half a cup of fruit to or vegetable to all students. In the past, we were able to just offer that to students, and students were able to take it or not take it. Mm-hmm. And now it's a requirement to be on their plate. And um, so that's one of the challenges that have um, come up, um, specifically in our case, just because of old schools. And I can talk more about that. Mm-hmm. Um, the other change, uh, we have to serve 100% whole grains. So any of the grains we serve are whole grain. So that would mean all our bread products, our pasta, Pasta has been the biggest challenge because vendors don't necessarily carry all those products. Um, our pizza, tortillas, anything that's a, a bread grain has to be whole grain. And um, so there are some items that have been a little bit challenging um, because they're not available on the market. Mm-hmm. Other things have been on the market like the bread products for years, and so that hasn't been a big issue. And another one that has been a little challenging for us is also the um, sodium targets that we have to um, meet. And they're implemented in three different stages. And the first one will be for next school year where there's a, um, a level that we have to meet uh, as far as the sodium content. So, for example, for the middle school kids, the, uh, men- the lunch can't um, have more than 1,360 milligrams of sodium. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that's been another challenge that um, in the new regulations right. um, that have come about that we're working with. Well, the, Bertrand, the, do you want? Oh. Yeah, go, I just wanted to say that the, the portioning requirements are so very specific, and there's yeah. three different so, categories, which really yeah, complicates I, I, your life, I'm sure. I, I was going to jump on that if we have time. And, and Gita mentioned serving half a cup and uh, fresh fruits and vegetable, uh, but the regulation actually also calls that we have to offer a cup. So when in a pre-pack environment mm-hmm. uh, <clears throat> means that I have to have a, you know, and a salad bar is okay. In a pre-pack, I have to have to make sure that the fruits and vegetables are offered uh, that there is the minimum of one cup offered, and they have to take half a cup. Mm -hmm. In our area, too, very challenging. Uh, We have a lot of K-8 schools, which means that they have two standards that we've got to follow. Yet we have one delivery system in those schools, which is a Mm pre-pack. So our menus have to meet the cannot be over the maximum of a K-5 and have to meet the minimum of the 6-8. So 
So for the calorie, for example, it gives us only a window of about 50 calories. Mm -hmm. And the sad thing is, uh, you know, it's it's really complicated things from a sodium perspective, from a calorie perspective, from a portion size perspective, because we can't satisfy those older kids because we're above the minimum, the maximum of the little kids. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, uh, and same as, as Gita, we're seeing a lot of, or what you mentioned earlier, uh, we, some of these schools still have what they call share tables, and we see mounting um, you know, portions of wrapped fruits and vegetables on those tables just because the kids have to take them. Right, right. We'll, we'll talk about that in the second half, about cost and waste. Um, before we go to station break, I just wanted to tell our listeners that there is a fantastic infographic on page 8 of the GAO report that um, makes really clear what Gita and Bertrand are talking about with regard to the, the portion sizes. So um, if you just Google uh, GAO school lunch report and make sure you're looking at the 2014 report, go to page Eight. It is uh, very useful, and it's at a glance, uh, because uh, without, without that, this can be rather daunting to understand. Uh, so with that, we'll take a break, and uh, when we come back, we're going to launch into talking about some of the problems with regard to cost. Hard in my eyes, bruised on my lips, it's no big surprise, it's you, Today's break song is called It's You by Lily Virginia. This is HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Welcome back to Inside School Food. My name is Laura Stanley, and I'm here with uh, two directors of large school districts, uh, Bertrand Weber from Minneapolis Public Schools and Gita Grether Sweeney from Portland, Oregon Public Schools. We're talking about challenges involved with the new uh, meal pattern for school lunches, and and specifically we're going to be talking um, in the next uh, 10 minutes about uh, cost. So... um, Gita, you when we spoke about this last, you we we talked about that extra six cents. Um, can you explain what that means and what it gets you? Sure. So uh, with the new regulations, uh, one of the things that um, took part in that or and was involved with that is that we have to get our menus approved um, through the state uh, to make sure that we are complying with all the new regulations. And if we pass that review, then uh, we're approved for an extra six cents per uh, lunch. And so um, we appreciate every cent and quarter cent that we receive from the government for our meals because it helps us to um, break even in our departments. Um, But the six cents really reflects one-third of an apple. And so when you picture that, that's not a lot of food or that, that six cents really buys us. And um, so that's been a bit of a challenge for us, especially with the quantity, as Bertrand uh, uh, mentioned earlier, um, that we have to serve. And the sixth sense just doesn't really go as far as or stretch as far as we would hope it would. Right, right. And Gita, what, uh, you know, approximately how much do you have to spend per lunch total? So 
So, yeah, uh, each district is a little bit different. Uh, our food costs in um, Portland run about $1.35 per meal. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And what is the total budget for a meal, including your overhead costs, your labor, et cetera? So we receive, uh, with the, including the six cents, because we were approved for that, we receive three dollars and one cent for mm-hmm. every lunch that we serve. Mm-hmm. So a little bit, you know, about half or so, a little bit less than half, uh, goes to the cost of the food, and then the other half has to cover uh, labor cost, um, benefits, uh, and equipment. Any expense that would come out of our department. Mm-hmm. And as you mentioned, you are expected to break even. We are expected in our Mm -hmm. district to break even, so we don't receive any money from the general fund. Uh, What we receive for reimbursement for the meals we serve is what we um, have to survive on, and it's a business. Mm -hmm. And Bertrand, what, what uh, what, what are you receiving per lunch? Uh, well, we receive the same as as Gita. That's that's pretty much uh, it's it's very similar, and mm-hmm. you know the federal reimbursement is the same. State varies a little bit, but we receive about the same. And ironically, our food cost is also at the dollar thirty-five. So, okay. <laughs> uh, but here's something that's interesting: is we implemented the breakfast. Don't ask me why, but we went that direction. We implemented the breakfast regulations this year mm-hmm. uh, that are effective starting next school year, and we saw our breakfast food, sco- food costs just soar because of the required fruit component at breakfast that now they must take a fruit as well. Mm-hmm. So I know that everyone will be facing this next year, uh, but the breakfast one was a, is, is a very large one. Right, right. Well, and and that speaks to what I was talking about earlier with regard to the GAO report and skyrocketing costs for um, fruits and vegetables. Um, Gita, what are your increased you know produce costs looking like, and how are you dealing with it? Uh, so we're spending probably at least a third more on produce um, than we have in the past. Um, our uh, our produce bill is very high. Uh, And part of that is because we do purchase a lot of fresh uh, produce, and then we cook it. We buy very little um, frozen or canned. And so that does impact our cost. Um, As far as fruits go, we do offer some a canned fruit every day, Mm -hmm. uh, but we also offer a a fresh fruit, at least one a day. Mm -hmm. Um, So the produce costs of uh, to answer your question, have gone up quite a bit. So, how are you coping? And, and you know, are there other other places where you can cut corners to to make this happen and still break even? So, we look at all sorts of different ways uh, internally. How can we operate more efficiently? Uh, whether it's our distribution of the product, um, our labor, we really uh, manage our labor very closely. Uh, to make sure that we stay within our labor cost, and that's monitored on a uh, monthly basis, or really weekly, and then reported on on a monthly basis by our program managers. Uh, One of the biggest things that we've done out of the schools, like I mentioned, we have old schools, and we've had salad bars in the school since 1995. 
Um, but with the new regulation, um, in the past what kids would do is go through the service line and the salad bar would be after the point of sale where mm-hmm. the meal was claimed for reimbursement. And then the kids could just select, you know, how many fruit, you know, the fruits and vegetables that they wanted. Um, so when the new regulations came on board, we had to offer some of those fruits and vegetables on the line and out on the salad bars. And um, so we saw an increase in cost there because uh, kids would take it both places. Um, so in schools where we have long enough service lines, we've moved all the offerings that are on the salad bar into the serving area. Uh, so that the kids can select before they get to the point of sale. Mm-hmm. And that has helped us uh, quite a bit in decreasing our costs uh, for the fruits and vegetables. Right, right. But you're still needing to buy more, and um, kids aren't necessarily eating those fruits and vegetables. No, and I actually witnessed this yesterday with uh, parents I had taken to lunch at a school, and they were just appalled at how kids would go through the serving line, and literally, I mean, it was yesterday happened to be grapefruit, and the kids would throw the grapefruit in the garbage before they ever sat down. Mm -hmm. And the grapefruit are not the grapefruit that we used to eat when we were young that, you know, we needed sugar on it. These were nice, sweet grapefruit, Mm -hmm. but um, they did not want to eat it. And so... uh, the more they can self-select, the better it is. Uh, but even at that, when they are forced to have to take the fruit or vegetable, mm-hmm. they don't like that even at the elementary level. Right. So the required serving um, isn't necessarily the way to win their hearts, um, you know, with regard to fruits and vegetables. Right. Right, right. Yeah, letting them self-select is a, a much better option. Right, right. Yeah, and, and I think we, we're encountering the same issue with the whole grain issue, uh, and and I'm by all means not against whole grain, but all grain has a place in some areas. Mm-hmm. And and I know Gita mentioned the pasta. Uh, we're finding kids are I don't want to say they're rebelling, but mm-hmm. uh, half of those pasta made with whole grains are terrible. Mm-hmm. And so we're not a we're not accomplishing anything. We're pushing kids away from certain food just because now we they all have to be whole grain. Right, uh, and and that's a challenge too, and you know our cost is going up in those as manufacturers have to reformulate uh, all of their product. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and and you know I joked earlier, but even all of the breadings on anything <laughs> have to be made with whole grain rich products. Right, right. So it's affecting everything. Well, and children especially are notoriously neophobic, so. Um, that's part of what you're dealing with is just adjustment, and let's hope that it's more that than anything else over time, as the GAO suggests. But that remains to be seen, doesn't it? Um, Gita, unlike uh, Minneapolis, Portland has lost some income due to decreased participation, um, mm-hmm. and and yet very recently you're seeing an uptick. Um, you you know what do you think, or is it too early to say? Well, yes, we were so excited because yes, or this last month, and uh, we saw a, a slight increase, a 0.6 percent, and so I'm anxious to see uh, the current month's participation. We have been, unfortunately, experiencing a, about a 4 percent decrease um, the last couple of years. So I'm hopeful when we saw this increase last month that that's going to continue. Mm-hmm. So I'm not, you know, since we've made the menu changes over the last few years, I was surprised to see the decrease, even with the new regulations. Um, But uh, I'm hoping 
like I said, with the increase that we saw this last month, that, that trend will continue. Right, right. Well, we look forward to checking in with you again. Uh, give it some more months and see if, if, that, if it does continue, Gita. Um, mm-hmm. Well, we need to wrap up now, um, but I, I was really excited to have both of you with us today on Inside School Food, and I look forward to catching up with you um, going forward uh, to talk about other issues with regard to the new meal pattern. Bertrand talked about breakfast, so that's another hot topic um, that we're going to be looking at going forward. But uh, thank you both. Thank and, you so much uh, for having us on. All right. Yeah, thank you for having us on. Our pleasure. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.